I titled today's message, Peaceful, Easy Feeling. How many of you know that song? All right. Maybe some of the kids are like, what are you talking about? (laughs) It was sung by the Eagles. So what do you think that song is about? Anybody, you know, I, I was listening to the lyrics and the chorus is pretty well known and, you know, internet is a wonderful thing. Some people think it's a love song, right? Other people, though, think it's not really about the love song, but the singer, um, it doesn't matter whether the girl loves him or not because he will be okay. And the reason that people think that is, if you listen to the chorus, it says this, because I got a peaceful, easy feeling, and I know that you won't let me down because I'm already standing on, on the ground. So maybe that second one really is accurate because he's standing on firm ground. But really, today I really wanted to talk about peace and and such peaceful, easy feeling. People really want peace. Don't you think most mankind is in search of peace? So my glasses on here. The Oxford definition of peace is this. A state or period in which there is no war or war has ended. And a second definition, freedom from disturbance or tranquility. And when I read the word tranquility, I, I kind of in, in, uh, likened that to what we might consider inner peace. So we want peace as a, as a human race. We sing about it. The eagles sang about it. Do you remember, again, the kids are going to be like, what are you talking about? You can go home and look us all up. John Lennon sang, sang about it in Imagine. We read about it. We write about it. Think about this. How many magazine articles or internet blogs, if you were to search, would give you all the tips and tricks in the world to try to find peace. There's even people um, who form organizations and political movements for it. If you think about the peace movement during the Vietnam War era and the United Nations, I forget how many years ago, but I read that they also put forth a statement saying that their goal was to resolve a lot of world conflicts peacefully. So where do we look for it as humans? Where do we look for peace? I can name off a couple of different things. Um, Going back to that, like you can find probably a million articles on it. We look for a cause, right? A movement. Counseling. Have you tried yoga? You need to exercise more. Don't forget, save time for me time. And some people, the only way they can find peace is through escapism. So think about people who are using alcohol or drugs to get away from their problems because they have no peace. In all of this, do you think, right, all, despite all of those things that we look for peace, do you think we, again, sort of generally in the world, have we found peace? I'd say no. Again, lots of information out there. The reason that in the world we don't have peace, if you look at some data, Um, There's actually people who measure this stuff. The 2023 Global Peace Index reveals the average level of global peacefulness has deteriorated for the ninth consecutive year. And what about that um, inner peace? Tons of reports are out there about how worry, anxiety, depression, and other inner turmoil is on the rise. In fact, according to a Washington Post article last November, the number of people seeking treatment from counselors, psychologists, psychiatrists is increasing so much that therapists across the U.S. can't meet the demand for help. 
So we touched on a couple of things that aren't peace, and I'm going to read through a whole list of things that I came up with that's pretty much the opposite of peace, but yet are very prevalent. Anxiety, depression, addiction, worry, stress, situations that are circumstantial such as homelessness or abuse, grief, and war. That all goes on in the world. But, you know, obviously we're in church today, so I'm going to talk about what does the Bible say about peace. And, you know, there's a lot of verses in the Bible that talk about peace. But one of the things I wanted to read to you all in my topical index in the back of my Bible, which is a New American Standard Bible, this is what it has to say about peace. In Scripture, the term peace refers to a personal sense of well-being, wholeness, harmony, and security through a proper relationship with God and other people. Believers have, one, peace with God as a result of the justification by faith in Christ, who has made peace through the blood of his cross, two, peace from God, and three, peace of God by committing all anxiety to him in prayer. Christ is properly called our peace, since he has broken down the barrier of legal commandments between Jews and Gentiles so that believers from both groups are reconciled in one body to God through the cross. So again, without reading specific scriptures, although this points to a lot of different scripture in there, given what the Bible says about that, and the scriptures, you know, some of what Amy read earlier is all about, you know, God binding up the brokenhearted, and, you know, uh, Jesus gives us peace that surpasses all understanding. Do you think that if we are faithful Christians and followers of Jesus, that we won't experience any of those things I mentioned? If the Bible tells us that God gives us peace, do you think that means we don't have depression, anxiety? No, because also the Bible is clear as day that in John 16, 33, in this world, you will have trouble. I, I um, went to a Micah Tyler concert uh, Thursday evening, and he was talking about the promises of God. He threw that in there as a promise, and I went, well, you know, yes, it's a, it's a statement in the Bible that is true. I don't know if I would have called it a a promise, but it, but it is a truth. In this world, you will have trouble. And um, I don't want to get off on a tangent, but, you know, when I was using my Bible index, there's also, I was, like, trying to figure out, okay, what else could I look at here? And not really part of the message today, but if you want to look into it, um, in the world, you will have trouble. And if you want to dig into it, my uh, index talks about that there are many verses that explain what God's purposes are in our suffering. You might want to explore that. So if we're going to have trouble, right, we don't automatically get rid of all of those things, do you think we can have peace in the midst of all of those things? So, uh, you know, leading, leading question there. I say yes, and probably because I think God's peace isn't the dictionary definition of peace. Um, again, Amy read it, and I mentioned it before. Paul says in Philippians that the peace of God surpasses all understanding. So when the world is giving you tips and tricks about peace, perhaps God's peace is not the same kind of peace. And I could really end a message there, right? That's the end of the message. Except that today I really wanted to dig into a difficult time and condition um, that we all might feel that it is hard to feel that peace, and that's grief. According to the Cleveland Clinic, grief is the experience of coping with loss. 
Most of us think of that grief as happening in the painful period following the death of a loved one. But grief can accompany any event that disrupts or challenges our sense of normalcy or ourselves. And actually, if you know your Bible well, there's plenty of examples in the Bible of people in the, God's people in the Bible experiencing grief. Abraham mourns over the death of Sarah. Jacob mourned over Joseph's supposed death. All of Israel wept for Aaron. All of Israel mourned for Moses. Israel assembled and mourned for Samuel. King David, a man after God's own heart, mourns the death of Saul. Jonathan, his son Absalom, and more. Mary and Martha, they mourned Lazarus. Even Jesus wept. And again, when I was looking at, throughout the Bible, um, I didn't dig into it, but again, something else. Lamentations, a book of the Bible that maybe a lot of people don't talk about, but um, what I was reading about the book of Lamentations, it's a whole book about the grief expressed and lamented, um, circumstances lamented by the people of Israel. So again, we all go through grief happens all the time in the Bible. Um, today, as part of the message, I wanted to offer a personal testimony about how I found peace in the midst of grief. It's a season of grief, one I'm still, still going through, and I got, I've had peace in that, in that circumstance um, even when I didn't recognize it. Recognize it. Hopefully I can get through that. Um, one of the most powerful things I think we can do is provide a testimony, and that's what I'm going to do today. In a courtroom, people testify or serve as a witness to help people know the truth. And I think that is the same about sharing what Jesus has done and can do for us. So I'll go into my story, but as I'm giving you my story, I want you to think about perhaps you have a story of your own. Not a requirement, but I will invite anybody who has uh, experiences that they'd like to share. It can be 30 seconds, and I'm a storyteller, so mine will be more than 30 seconds. So um, I'll invite you up if you would like to share your own story. All right. So my story really comes in two parts. Um, I'll tell you both parts, and then I'll tie them together. So part number one, the easier part. So I attend a small group at Wesley Church. Um, and in one night of our discussion, probably about a year ago, I had commented <laughs> to, the, to the small group, somebody in my family is calling me a holy roller. And, you know, like, why would they say that? And I said, well, you know, I've, I've increased my um, prayer life. I, I now keep a prayer journal. I've been more consistent in that journaling and doing devotions. I joined this small group. Um, at Wesley, I added some church committees was really gung-ho for those of you who know Wesley about the prayer pavilion um, you know I felt like that was a good thing that to offer people in the community for those of us who were in Wesley going through the whole issues before the vote I was really steeping myself in educating and helping edu educate others about the issues of the UMC and I don't mean structurally but more about like what the belief system was and what the United Methodist leadership was doing or, or not doing, and I added teaching Sunday school this last school year. And so someone in the small group's like, well, okay, you're doing all these things. What caused you to do that? And I didn't really have a good answer. Thought about, well, you know, we've gone through COVID. I wasn't commuting to work anymore, so more time. 
about a year into COVID, our youngest daughter got her driver's license. That freed up a whole heck of a lot of time for me because I wasn't driving her everywhere. And, you know, perhaps as we went through that disaffiliation process and learning about that, I thought more about my own faith and my own beliefs, trying to understand the issues. But I really couldn't have a definitive answer. So that's part number one. Part number two is the tougher one for me. So I want to share a little bit about my youngest daughter, Catherine. Some of you have probably heard a little bit about this, but I don't often tell the whole story. Ever since Catherine was little, I have felt personally joined at the hip with her. I spent a lot of time with her. She was always active and wanting to do things. I spent a lot of time with her as she was younger. As she grew up, she was very active in sports. Um, many of you know that she did gymnastics. That sport is all year round, up to six days a week, four hours at a clip. I was in the car a lot with her, and with that busyness, I was helping her with school. I was helping her with other sports that she wanted to try. At home, she was the one, oh, I'll, I'll help you carry in the groceries. I'm interested. I'll help you cook dinner. I want to bake cookies. So it was always a lot of things going on, and I spent a lot of time with her. She was always active. She was always close by. Um, even if she wasn't with me and she was with Mike, I mean, I can distinctly remember Mike commenting, um, and no, I didn't get his permission to share, but this is easy <laughs> enough. She was on with him all the time. You know, if he was out, you know, washing the car, she was outside with him. If he wanted to go play golf, can I ride in the golf cart? Fishing, yeah, I'll go fishing with you. And I can even remember, I don't know what age she was, he was trying to do the meticulous work of painting our wrought iron rail on the front porch, and she was right there helping him. But then something changed. In the middle of eighth grade, and I didn't write it all down, so I was going by memory. In the middle of eighth grade, something happened. I don't even know how to describe it, but I can describe the day when I first realized that there was a problem. We were at a gymnastics meet in Florida. Um, she wasn't able to compete because she was starting to have some injuries, and we were going to the ho the we did the meet, you know, whatever in Florida, everything was fine. In the rental car at a gas station to fill up before we got on the plane, and my wallet fell over onto her seat. She jumped to the side. She's like, ew, get that off of me. And I was like, what are you talking about? Stop that. That's weird. Well, that was probably on a Monday. By the next Saturday, I was in tears calling a doctor because she was experiencing a lot of OCD, <laughs> um, at, mostly at school. Um, it was a very challenging time. I didn't know what was wrong. It came on all of a sudden. A girl at school, she couldn't touch the papers the girl touched. She couldn't sit in the chair that the girl touched. They even got to a point where the girl would walk by and Catherine could not walk behind her in the air that the girl had gone through. She felt disgusting. And it came out as um, washing her hands, showering a lot, it was, and, a, and a lot of anxiety. Okay, <laughs> we tried a lot of things. But, you know, even during this, I was right there with her calling the doctors, let's try, uh, get you a therapist, let's do a lot of stuff. Um, so again, I was right there, so still right by her side. But then when COVID hit, things shifted. She was now at home. She was no longer in school. And the things that caused her to feel dirty and disgusting, that was me. Anything I touched made her feel dirty. Couldn't touch me, couldn't hug me. Grew 
to the point in the house, she didn't want to touch anything that I had touched. Um, showered a lot. When she started driving, she didn't spend a lot of time at home. Things changed. I was no longer joined at the hip with her. It's been three years since that happened, and it's largely been the same. Um, regardless of the different medicines, regardless of the therapy, and regardless of what's up and down at home, that really hasn't changed. And in all of this, what I came to realize, and this is where the tie-in is to where I wanted to dig in, what I feel is grief. I miss how it used to be. Not exactly the way, you know, Catherine was one way before, now she's another. It's not so much about that, but I miss the relationship that I had with her. If I was joined at the hip now, it's not like that anymore. Not, not that there was anything bad or not that she, you know, wouldn't talk to me. It, it's not any of that, but the, the closeness was no longer there. Even now, she's a freshman at Towson. She doesn't call very much to connect with me. Mike and I have just talked about that. Like, you know, sure, I'm really sick, let me text you, but she's not connecting. And I grieve that, that we don't have that anymore. And occasionally, over the last couple of years, people have asked me, how do you cope with this stuff that's going along? And for a long time, I didn't have an answer for that either. I knew that she loved me. She knew that I loved her. Maybe I theorized, well, maybe subconsciously, I'm the point of her OCD because she knows that I'm still going to be there, right? Like it was an easy thing, that there were no dire consequences. Um, plus, you know, she was surviving, right? She, she got over the school thing. She was going to school. She got good grades. She was participating in sports. She functioned fairly well everywhere but home. Not perfectly, but fairly well. She survived, and we were surviving. I wouldn't say thriving, but we were surviving. So... Tying those two stories together, I had a light bulb moment this last spring. I was out to lunch with somebody I work with, who I know is a Christian, and I, you know, we were connecting because I'm not back in the office, and I was seeking feedback as her manager. Um, and she knew a little bit about Catherine, and, but I probably had never shared the extent that I just shared with you. And we got into it a little bit, and I, I really ended up sharing that, you know, that I was the ground zero of her OCD at this point. And she looked at me, and she said, as a mother, how have you been able to deal with that? And in, for some reason, in that moment, I realized that while life was not perfect, I haven't gone off the deep end because I was simultaneous to all of this going on. Back to that holy roller thing. I was being more steeped in my faith and more rooted in Christ. I'm not calm all the time. I've shed tears. I'm shedding tears now. I've yelled. I've tried lots of things. But you know what? I've been able to press on. There are some days that I don't even know how I'm doing it. You know, she doesn't want to be at home. And I'm like, oh, you know, it is what it is. And maybe someday it'll be different. So I don't have peace as the world describes it. But there is a plane of peace that I have in the midst of all of the grief and the trials that can only come from Jesus. Jesus says in John 14, 27, peace I leave you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives you, do I give you. So my personal testimony is, is that 
without Christ, I probably would have been off the deep end. I, I would have been seeking tons of therapy. Maybe I would have been seeking medicine. I, I didn't need that. And while I do talk to Catherine's therapist sometimes, it's more about understanding how to interact with her. So that's my story. As I promised, I will probably give you an uncomfortable amount of silence while I ask if anybody has a similar experience. It doesn't have to be as deep or as challenging as mine where you've felt that the hand of Christ has helped you get through and give you a sense of peace that maybe the world doesn't offer. Um, I will say this, that um, for those of us who have come out of the Methodist church, one of the, I found this too, one of the chief heritages of Methodism, which we don't practice actually, or at least at Wesley we didn't, is a testimony meeting. And I think if Matt Sickle were here, he'd be all telling you about class meetings, right? And in this thing, it says, it's a sad day for the church when she abandons the testimony meeting. There has never been a revival of religion without Christian testimony. It is by such testimony that the gospel spreads from heart to heart. And I think that's one reason I wanted to share with you today my story in grief. So I'll pause, like I said, for an uncomfortable amount of time and see if anybody would like to share. Those of you who shared, I was talk about the worry, right? Like all the things that's not peaceful. I came here and I said, I'm worried. No one will share. And so um, my backup plan, which I'll just point it to you in your handout, I had w was going to play but will not play because you don't need it and we've had plenty of testimony there's a song um, that I've heard recently. It's called I Speak Jesus, and it talks about how the peace of God is there. You can Google it or find it online, but um, I was going to play that, but you can read the lyrics there too. I speak Jesus over all depression, all anxiety, and there's a peace there. Um, I'll end with a little bit of this. Um, right, The grief I talked about today is not like the grief that we talk about when we lose somebody here on this earth, um, although all of us have experienced that um, too. Um, also last year, there's a mini little story. Um, it was around the, the, a little over a year ago, Mike and I lost our 16-year-old nephew to a, a horrendous skateboarding accident. And it was also around the same time in the fall where um, Rini, the, who joins us here, and her friend Bonnie were starting Grief Share. And Bonnie particularly got up in church and she talked about why Grief Share was different. And of course, with Mike and I losing our nephew, we were watching family members seeking out counseling and, and how to cope with the grief of losing Ryan. And Bonnie talked about how when she lost her husband that she went to a couple of different grief support groups. And she would go there. And definitely a commonality of experiences, right? You know, everybody emotionally was having a hard time. There's the reality of paperwork and other things to take care of too. And she said she went to those places and came back feeling almost worse. But when she went to Grief Share many years ago, which is how she ended up um, leading Grief Share, right, it's faith-based and she learned that in grief there is hope and nowhere else could she find the hope. First glasses on for this one. First Thessalonians 4.13 says this, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, and asleep means dead, so that you will not grieve as the rest who have no hope. 
Those in Christ will grieve, but not like the rest of the world who has no hope. A couple other things to, to tie in here. Um, remember I gave you all those statistics about how world peace has gone down over the last nine years? Simultaneously to that, again, talk about simultaneous stuff. In 2022, Pew Research Center reported this. As recently as, early, as the early 1990s, about 90% of U.S. adults identified as Christians. In 2007, the share was down to 78%. Today, when they wrote that research, it was in 2022, that number is down to 64%. Since 2007, the share of adults who identify as religious nuns, which means not nun, Catholic nun, but uh, I don't have a faith, I'm agnostic, I'm an atheist. That grew from 2007 to 2022 from 16% to 29% of U.S. adults, almost doubling. Do you see a connection there? Faith goes down, peace goes down. And I'll really literally end with this. One thing that I pray as, I rem as we contemplate growing this church and I said this the other night in Bible study, people need Jesus. You heard my testimony. You heard other people talk. How can we not be excited to share what God has done for us and what he can do for other people? It's a good way to get people in and grow their faith as well. We sang earlier that Christ is the solid rock we stand on, and I'll ask you to stand now to sing our final hymn, because we also have Jesus' everlasting arms to lean on and give us blessed peace.